nothing does not belong. No experience, no experience does not belong. Even the most painful ones that on a human level seem incomprehensible, which I've experienced. They still were part of my journey that got me to where I am today. Michelle Edwards. I am the author of a novel called Chronicle of Endings, but I want to continue the conversation. It's a conversation about the different endings we face across the course of our lives, and ultimately about all the beginnings that open up after. I want to speak to men because men don't always have the place or the permission to talk openly about their difficulties the way women do. But I want to speak to women too because we are all the same human beings trying to navigate the same universal human experiences. Mostly through these interviews, I want to have the opportunity to speak directly and openly with you. Each guest's experiences will allow you to reflect on your own, about the endings you have faced and the ones you are yet to face, the mindset and actions which brought these people through their difficult times will, in turn, speak to you about your own. Because whether it's a novel a podcast, or just two mates finally speaking about things that matter over a beer. Words. Words have the power to change people, to change their lives, to change yours. So, can we talk? All right, Diana Lockett, welcome to Chronicle of Endings. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here, Michelle. I love this conversation and I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Um, Now, you are lots of things. Um, You are an international speaker, a best-selling author of two, two soon-to-be-three books. Um, You are a coach, an embodied spiritual coach, and a yoga teacher trainer. That's a lot. That sounds like a really beautiful mix of things. But why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? And then, um, you know, you can tell us about your ending. Thank you very much. And yes, I do all of those things. They're not who I am, but they're what I do. And I just really feel that I have to remind myself regularly that I am not the roles that I play. And yet I get to choose the roles that I play every day, which is lovely. I also have practiced and worked as a speech and language pathologist with nonverbal children for 32 years. And right now continue to do that on a philanthropy basis with children in Africa that are living in orphanages who are nonverbal. So that's another hat that I wear occasionally But most days, my hat is speaker, author, and coach. And then um, once a year, I run yoga teacher training programs for 200 and 300 hours. And I call them personal development programs disguised as yoga. Mm -hmm. Because the intention is to really go into deep heart healing community building work together. And then 
give people the skills to become incredible yoga teachers and be able to take that into the world and share. So I do wear many different hats and every day is just a beautiful blessing because every day I get to serve and that's truly my purpose in life. Thank you actually for bringing up that point that what we do, our vocation and things like that and our achievements is not our identity. I think that's a really solid point and something I like to highlight as often as possible because I think, um, you know, sometimes we get caught up in what we do and when we think about who we are apart from those things, we can stumble a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to remind myself as well because I have a lot of passion for everything that I do and it's easy to get sort of caught in that web of, um, you know, especially success and acknowledgement and accomplishment and service and all that. But truly, I am, I, am, I am a soul having a human experience just like you. And I'm here to experience life in the best, most joyful, loving, kind way that I can. And I don't do it all the time. Um, this past year in particular has been very difficult for me. And yet that's what I'm here to talk with you about. Mm. So what has your last year been like? So in March of 2020, I was flying to Iceland with my children. I have a 23 year old and a, at the time 13 year old. And when we landed, we got the news that there was a global pandemic being declared. So we knew the first thing we had to do was book our flight back home sooner than we had planned. So Toronto to Iceland is, you know, it's a fairly significant travel. So probably the shortest long distance travel I've ever done. And when I came home, it became clear that the tension and the disconnect um, that I had experiencing with my husband of 15 years was coming to um, bringing us to an end. And so we separated the day I got home. And that was really difficult for me because I had a really strong yearning to reconcile and to make this work. And I really believe that relationships is where we do our deepest healing. Relationships are worth the opportunity to have who we are and how we are mirrored back to us and to really figure out, you know, how to be with another and open and connect and, and keep our hearts open. So it wasn't necessarily my choice, and yet, it and it was very difficult. I don't want to get back. I don't want to get to where I am now. I want to talk about that experience because what happened it was it was very complicated when you layered on when I layered on that COVID was happening in the world, where my primary responsibility was to take care of my family, my children, to make our situation one that could be as successful as possible. Where there were four of us remaining in the home, my daughter's boyfriend was with us remaining in a little home, open concept, trying to navigate an online world for the first time for all of us. And so my focus went to that, not so much on focusing on my relationship ending or the grief or any of that. I didn't have time for that. So we went on for a couple of months that way, navigating, making it work, making sure everybody's mental health was good, making sure that we were all like moving our bodies, taking care of ourselves and each other. And about two months later, my 16-year-old cat died. And I saw it coming for a couple of days, and I had to make the decision to euthanize him. And that was really difficult. But I had meetings that day, so I did it. I shed a few tears. I went back to work. 
a couple of months later, I got a call at 6.30 in the morning from my niece who lived in Montreal about six hours from me. And I had been expecting this call to call and tell me that my father who lived in a nursing home had contracted COVID. That's what I expected. What I didn't expect was the call that said my father's passed away. And I remember that morning letting out a massive scream. Just It was so unexpected and it was so raw and painful. And my son just coming and literally placing his body on mine and, and, um, and hugging me. And I ended up having to get busy again because I had to now figure out how do we plan a virtual memorial? And it was, it was really difficult to do that. And I noticed after a couple of weeks, this is getting into now summer of 2020, I started having a little bit more difficulty getting up in the morning. I was going to bed early. I was walking a lot. I was isolating myself from my family. I was finding myself teary. I was longing for my husband, really longing for my husband. And he would not even talk to me. And he lived next door to me. He lived next door with his mom and he wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't acknowledge me. What I noticed happened at that time is a lot of my childhood wounds came up. The wounds for me that were really triggered in that situation was that the needy little girl. So we call these shadow ranges, the parts of ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge, that we tuck away because society doesn't want to see them. But there was in me a needy little girl that goes way back to when I was five years old, living in a home with abuse and neglect and not being seen and not being heard and not having a voice. And so every time my husband didn't want to talk to me, I felt that little girl come up like so wanting to cling to what was not happening, to wanting to change things that I couldn't change, wanting life to be different than what it was. And that resistance was really painful to me. And what I know because I teach is that pain times resistance equals suffering. Pain times awareness equals freedom. And because I knew that, because I taught that, because I had shared that for at least a dozen years, I recognized that I had a choice in that moment. I could feel all this grief coming up, all this neediness coming up that needed attention. And the thing in our society is we don't give attention to grief. We have this belief, especially in the workplace, that grief is something that you get over, that you take two or three days Take two or three days for yourself and then move on, get back to work, like two or three days. That's all people are given to grieve in Canada. And the grief is only for the death of a loved one. It's not for divorce. It's not for loss of animals. It's not for loss of society, life, work, like all those other things that we lose in our lives. So I'm just going to recap. Here we have COVID. My entire community, which was based on physical connection as a yoga teacher training and coach, my family my father, my cat, everything had, had basically like gone away. And then my daughter, who was my last lifeline at 23, was an amazing support for me. She would find me crying in my room and she would just sit down with me. And she never said, what's wrong or what can I do, which is trying to fix it. That's a very sort of toxic masculine perspective. She just sat with me. She held space for me. And in that space, I felt... Um, I felt like I could be exactly what I needed to be and where I needed to be. My daughter had this longing to move across Canada. 
And when COVID kind of settled a little bit last summer, I said, this is your chance, go, go. You have to go live your life. And so she left. And I didn't expect the intensity of the grief and the loss that would hit me when she left. And it, it stayed with me for about six months where I felt an immense loneliness, a loss of my lifeline, not sure who would ever be there with for me or with me again. Like I just went through so much grief and sadness. I don't call it depression because I was extremely aware of what I was going through and what I needed. And so here's what I did with it because I had a choice. My choice was let's try, let's try to fix it and get over it. Let's try to numb it. Facebook, eating, yoga, exercise, which all can be numbing ideas as well. Um, alcohol, whatever it might be. But I also knew there was that third choice, remembering that pain times presence equals freedom. What I did is I gave my pain the most loving attention that I knew how to do. And so every morning I woke up and imagine my grief was like a little child. And I said to it every morning, what do you need? What do you need today? And some days it just wanted to stay in bed. And I stayed in bed and I did some breath work. Some days it wanted to move and I would put on really loud music and I would just stomp or I would dance or I would just like roll on my mat sometimes. Sometimes I would go for walks for hours. Sometimes I would cry. Sometimes I would yell. But every time that I made a decision to ask my grief, what do you need? I brought my grief to my conscious awareness. So I was not overtaken by the grief. Instead, I cultivated a relationship with it that allowed me to move through it, knowing that I had to go through it to grow through it. I'm going to pause there for a moment just to see if you have any questions. Yeah. Wow. What a story. I, um, I just want to, I would love to ask you quickly about grief. It seems like initially you experienced grief and pushed it away because you didn't have time at that moment. And then again, you experienced another situation, didn't have time to spend with the grief pushed it away, kept on living your life. Do you feel like um, at that point when your father passed all of that grief from your year and from all the way back through your life to your childhood kind of hit you all at once? Yeah. My father passed. I mean, there's a couple of things that happened. I became, in my mind, and sorry, my dog just came into my room, so you're going to hear him a little bit, but he'll settle down. In my mind, I became an orphan. So there was an identity that hit me really hard. Like, I don't have a parent left. And my mom had passed away 10 years earlier, and I realized I probably had not taken the time to grieve her passing. And my mom and I were very close. My dad and I had a more complicated relationship because he was the abuser in my home. And I had really worked hard to reconcile and forgive and cultivate a loving relationship with him in the last 10 years of his life. So I'm really grateful about that. That was a very conscious and um, powerful healing opportunity for me. But it was the grief of the little girl. It was the grief of my mom passing. It was the grief of society as I knew it, you know, like everybody else. I was in lockdown. 
I couldn't go to a friend and say, I really need a hug. I really need someone to sit with me. I was alone. And that was probably the greatest gift that I had. And yes, it was very cumulative, like each one just layered onto the other. And the fact that I was alone, I had two choices. I could have slipped into depression. And I work with a lot of people that have trauma and that come through in, and manage it through depression and feel really stuck there. But I, I knew that I had other ways. I knew that that was an option. Distraction was an option. Numbing was an option, but not for me because I'm a spiritual coach. I know better. So all of those cumulative opportunities absolutely um, just layered to the point where I couldn't deny it anymore. And it's not like I was numbing it before, but I was kind of denying it or just not attending to it. And then it literally was like, it hit me. It just hit me. It was like right in front of me saying, now, this is the time. This is the time to heal. And, and I didn't know what would come through on the other side. I just knew I had to do it. And so in the work that I do, and I do a lot of embodiment work where I help people to access the ranges of energetic emotional fields inside of them that they have never touched. For me growing up, I could never be angry. Angry was a very dangerous emotion in my home. Couldn't be angry because it would, I would get slapped across the face. I really didn't cry because there was really nobody to help support me in my grief and my sadness and my disappointment and my lack of understanding and my needs. So I had cultivated my relationship with my various emotional ranges and what I've recognized is when I am clear about my anger and able to access that part of myself in a conscious way, not in an unconscious toxic way where I'm throwing it at someone else, but just what's in me that needs to release because it has nothing to do with the other person. Emotions are experiences that we have in our bodies. And when we attend to them from an embodied state, we attend to the sensations, we then have a responsibility to release them in a healthy way. So releasing it means sound, movement, touch. And when I do my connection, when I create the connection with anger, it on the same spectrum, but a little bit further down, it opens up a portal for passion. And so part of my journey did, I did go through some anger. And those are the days that I put on music and I stomped my feet and I yelled and I rolled on my mat and I went for walks and I sang out loud, the, the, you know, the songs that I don't ever regularly listen to. And that was a way to get it out of my body. And then on the other side of anger comes passion. And passion is something that we all need in the world today. What are you passionate about enough to make a difference? What are you passionate about enough to say that's not okay in the world? That's not okay in my life. So it ignites boundaries. It ignites clarity. It becomes a way of really connecting with what you desire in your life. Grief also has an accompanied expression that can be in service, and it's called yearning. It's like that deepest desire in your heart. What do you want? And so in 2017, someone, um, one of my coaches said to me, why do you live where you live? And I remember at the time thinking, hmm, it was not a conscious choice to live where I live. I'm here by default. I'm here because 20 years earlier, my boyfriend at the time, when I finished graduate school in New York in the States, had moved there. And so I moved there and I just stayed there. And I created a life there. 
many, many, many moments of that life were amazing, but it was not where I wanted to live. When that person asked me that question, I never lost that inquiry. And so over this period of COVID, and I had spent the last five years sort of exploring Canada, where do I want to live, but not having the courage to move because I had a husband who had no desire to move. I had a community of like thousands of people that I've trained and coached that I really am strongly connected to. But through this deep grief process, I allowed myself to sort of unfold from the inside out. What do I want to do with my one precious life? I'm 56 years old. What do I want to do? Now's the time. I can't wait 10 years. Now's the time. And that became so clear to me. And now as I reflect back on this year, as difficult as it was, there's nothing that I would have changed because it got me to where I am today. And where I am today is two weeks having moved to a new community, 4,500 kilometers away, three kilometers from my, my daughter's house, living in the mountains by the ocean and totally living life on my terms and bringing along my 14-year-old who is thriving in this community as he's a climber and a hiker. And that's all we have here is just an outdoor adventure lifestyle. So the year that I went through and the loss that I had, and especially the loss of my, I mean, the loss of my father tipped, tipped me into that grief and the loss of my daughter, which was temporary as she moved, tipped me into a really deep place of the grief. But truly the loss of my husband was the hardest grief for me because I still, to this day, I still love him. And yet I can be without him and be okay without him. But it, I had to go through this journey to realize that so that I could stop yearning for him and trust that perhaps we've played out our human time together. Perhaps we haven't, I don't know. But for now, I'm content and I'm complete in our relationship. I could not have said that 10 months ago or even maybe six months ago because I hadn't gone through my process yet. I had to go through it to get clarity. And so here I am now, as I speak to you, looking out over the mountains, enjoying the sunshine, feeling really at home in my body and where I'm living right now. And knowing that this is the first time in my life at 56 that I chose where I wanted to live. And I feel, first of all, so incredibly proud of myself. I, I recognize how much courage I have in me. And it's not the first time I've had to access courage in my life. I've gone through lots of ebbs and flows. But this one was big. I drove across Canada by myself with my son, single driver, for six days to get here. And I don't know what the rest of my life is going to look like. And I don't need to know because for now, I'm still working, coaching, writing, speaking. So I'm feeling really content about that. I'm doing the philanthropy work with the children in Africa, feeling really, really happy about that service. And I get to have conversations and hopefully empower other people to know that whatever you're going through, trust the journey. Instead of trying to resist it, make it wrong, or force a change, trust the journey. And in every loss, every time something, a door closes and there's a loss, there's a gift on the other side. And I don't want to make it a spiritual bypass where we go right for the gift. Because if someone had said that to me a year ago, I probably would have knocked them down. <laughs> because the reality is I didn't want to see it at the time. I couldn't see it. I wasn't ready to see it. And the gift is there in time 
once you feel, so we don't bypass, we feel the feels, we go through the healing journey, and that healing journey then opens up and reveals what's truly waiting for you, which is the most incredible human journey that I could not even have imagined a year ago. Do you feel more alive now than what you did before March 2020? Mm -hmm. I feel so much more alive for many reasons. One is I'm not running tension through my system. My relationship with my husband, as much as I was very attached to him and I still love him, there was a lot of tension. And, um, you know, he's an amazing, magnificent man, but we had gone through so many devastating things together that I felt, I feel like we need this time apart, whether it's permanent or temporary, for us to be able to heal independently because we'd gone through a lot of stuff together, including a bankruptcy, loss of business, like lots of stuff like that. And um, what I know happens is when we're running tension and when we have trauma, and trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is the scars that remain. When something has happened to you and you have not been able to be supported through it because two people can have the same experience and one person has trauma remaining and others another doesn't so I've had lots of trauma in my life and every time trauma happens and all the way up until eight years ago I had trauma I don't actually consider this past year trauma because I processed as I was going through it I didn't tuck it away I didn't shut it down I went right to it I dove in and every time we have a traumatic experience in our lives, if you imagine that your nervous system is like a garden hose, this is teachings from Christian Pankers, one of my coaches, the garden hose, when you kink it, it stops the water flow, right? The nervous system, which is the communication network between the brain and the body, is very similar. When we have trauma or unprocessed or undigested experiences that we cannot digest for whatever reason, Maybe our parents don't have the capacity at the time, no blame, just what is. Maybe we don't tell anybody about what happened. When we kink our nervous system, when we don't process something, we kink the nervous system like the garden hose. Your nervous system holds your life force. This is the spiritual practice of it, the spiritual conversation. That's where your life force lies. And so imagine you kink your life force. And that's what I was doing for probably... Um, at least four to five years in my relationship where I just didn't know how much tension was going to be there. And I didn't know what to expect. And I wasn't feeling heard or understood or even loved um, for that time. And so the tension literally diminishes your life force. So your question, do I feel more alive? Hell yeah, I do. Because my life force feels free right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's no tension in my body. I feel like my nervous system is flowing effortlessly and that's my life force. And I, as I say this, I have goosebumps, which is always my truth. My goosebumps tell me it's my truth. I feel so alive and I feel so relaxed at the same time. Every part of my being feels relaxed. I don't have worries. I don't have fears. I don't have stresses. I am completely, I know exactly where I'm meant to be. And again, I'm going to come back to, I could not have done this a year ago. I wasn't ready. I needed to go through this journey. And at this point, I needed to come to this full circle place where I could say thank you for the losses in my life. I can feel gratitude for the losses in my life because they've opened up the portal to this experience that I'm having now that wouldn't have happened otherwise. It's so powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I want to touch on something 
I feel comes up a lot, which is when uh, somebody is facing separation in their marriage and um, that might bring up feelings or loss of self-worth for them. Doing the work that you do, how do you, um, how do you speak to these people and how do you address their self-worth being associated to their spouse wanting to stay or leave? I can totally relate to that first of all because I had those moments where I was just grasping and feeling like I just wanted to be seen and I wanted to be heard and I wanted to be held and and who was I if I didn't have this beautiful man by my side and it's, I was so intertwined and interconnected in the relationship and so that year when he said I'm not talking to you literally would give me the hand as difficult as it was in the moment I would retreat kind of like imagine with my tail between my legs, like I was a wounded little girl retreating at that time. But the retreating brought gave me the opportunity to do some self-reflection and to really nurture, if you've heard the term, my inner child, the little wounded girl in me, I would say to her, what do you need? And I keep a picture of my, my younger version of me, like there's a six-year-old picture of me right here next to my computer. And I look at her and I often say like, wow, like, what you've gone through in your lifetime and right now, I feel like, oh my gosh, so much like whew, energy coming over me. What you've gone through a lifetime, like way to go, way to go. So I believe that when we are so intertangled and our self-worth is meshed with another, first of all, a lot of that is conditioning. A lot of that is our upbringing. As little girls, we're going to find our prince charming and they're going to rescue us. And I had to realize that there's nobody here to rescue me. It's me. I have to rescue me. I have to heal me. I have to find my two feet. And as I do that, that builds confidence and confidence builds self-worth. So it's about really nurturing the parts in you. And I say parts because we are all made up of millions of different parts. So disidentify with the labels, disidentify with the label of I'm a wife, I'm a spouse, I'm this job. We started off just talking about disidentifying with jobs, right? I'm this job, I'm wounded, I'm, I'm a survivor. All those labels that we identify with, instead, there's just, there are parts of us. There's a parts of, part of me that, that works. There's a part of me that's a mother. There's a part of me that's still legally a wife. There's a part of me that has had a lot of wounding. And so when I identify in terms of the parts of me, I recognize it's not the whole of who I am. And instead, what I do is I welcome all the parts to integrate as the wholeness that is my natural birthright. But I'm not identified by one part. So part of the work that I do in coaching is to help people to identify the parts of themselves and to really cherish and honor all parts of themselves, knowing that nothing does not belong. No experience, no experience does not belong. Even the most painful ones that on a human level seem incomprehensible, which I've experienced. They still were part of my journey that got me to where I am today. Would you say that nobody has the right to completely diminish your self-worth unless I suppose you allow them to? Yeah, absolutely. Nobody, we are all sovereign beings, every one of us. We are all sovereign beings and we all deserve to recognize that 
And uh, I'm so sorry, my dog is barking. I'm going to bring him close to me. We all deserve to recognize our sovereignty. And unfortunately, that is the experience that happens, first of all, when someone has been put down so much, they forget their sovereignty. They forget their wholeness, their completeness, which in Sanskrit in yoga, we call it pranatva. Pranatva is wholeness and completeness. That is your birthright. You are born whole and complete. And then we get to watch these movies that, you know, these love stories where the man comes and he says, you complete me. It's like, that's crap. You are whole and complete in and of yourself. You need nobody to complete you. So my work, I work primarily with women, is to help them to come back into their sovereignty, to find their power, their strength, their wholeness, their completeness, so that when they come into a relationship, they're coming as a whole human, choosing another whole human, instead of looking for someone to complete them. As long as we're looking for someone to complete us, we will be diminished in our eyes in a relationship. And so when the relationship ends, we're going to feel like we can't cope or one will feel like they can't cope. So it's really important to help women particularly to identify who they are on their own two feet in the absence of anybody else. And that's the spiritual coaching that I do. So mindset coaching is, a, is, is very traditional life coaching. And I do that as well, it, you know, depending on the session. But the spiritual coaching and the embodied coaching are really the game changers to help people to recognize their completeness, to feel their sovereignty, to feel their queenhood, and to recognize that they are a gift. Like every single one of us is a miracle. And every one of us, there's a one in 400 billion chances that any one of us would be here and we're here. And so when you can start with that recognition that you're a miracle, even that can help women to stand a little bit taller, shoulders back, breathe a little bit more fully, and then feel into the miracle of your body. Like what a beautiful gift, a vessel of your body that houses these billions of cells that make up who you are and not another version of you, not the version that's on the magazine covers or the actress or whatever. It's you. You're a one of a kind unique individual so my work is to help empower women to recognize that and when they recognize that any relationship that comes towards them becomes a beautiful synergy a beautiful opportunity to blend hearts not to conflict not to diminish and not to separate and um to allow women to come back and rediscover their passion um, which I think um, when perhaps when you have faced the end of a relationship that may have lasted for you know 20 years and may have been diminishing for the last you know, seven of those 20 years, you really um, you really start to, I think you, know, you come back to your passion, come back to your sexuality, come back to your, aliveness it's a really beautiful turning point absolutely the research shows that men leave too early and women stay too long Mm. in relationships Mm. and women stay too long i believe because they are they become codependent on the men so this coming back to recognizing who you are 
and the gifts that you have to offer, your strength, your power, your resilience, your beauty, your grace, your love, your light, all of that is part of the journey to being able to stand and say, I can get through this. There's a resilience that's required. The other part is around recognizing that passion, life force, is what comes through your ability to access your energetic emotional range that we call anger. Remember, it's the same thing. Anger, passion, life force is what comes through it. And because so many women have been, their voice has been diminished. They have not been allowed to express themselves. When they do express themselves, they're labeled. So we have to, as women, I believe, we have to, as women, hold space for each other in sisterhood to be able to express what we need to express without being judged, ridiculed, criticized, or put down. Then when we go back to our relationships, whatever they may be, kids, partners, parents, friends, we're not bringing that toxic energy to the relationship. But we have to be able to express it because we all deserve to feel fully alive. And it can only happen when we can access all parts of ourselves. And as a mother, you have to model this to your children, both male and female children. You know, they, they're they very aware. They can pick up on whether you're living in your aliveness or not. And not only model, but give them permission. Our boys need permission to share their anger, their frustration, their fears without having to wait until they're on a sports field and they get into a fight because they haven't been able to sort of digest it slowly with support. And our girls need, and so I'm talking as a parent, our girls need to have a voice to express their boundaries, to use their no, and to express what they need. And The research shows that as young as 18 months, when children start having temper tantrums, as a speech language pathologist, I've always said, that's a day of celebration. When that child says no, that's a day of celebration. That's your child in their sovereignty. That's your child saying, I have boundaries. That's a celebration. But what parents typically do is they discipline the no. They put them in timeout. They separate from the child. So at a very early age, the child learns that they have two choices. I have a choice where I can comply and receive love from mom and dad, or the other choice is to express my truth, which comes out as a tantrum, because that is the language of a two-year-old. Because the risk of losing mom and dad's love is so assaulting to, to their sense of safety, they will always choose to shut down their voice, to comply and agree with mom and dad. It starts early. So fast forward now, 40-year-olds in a relationship, how could you know how to express your needs? How could you know how to share your truth? Of course, relationships have conflicts. Conflict is part of life. But when one partner is unwilling to, to, to navigate the conflict and sees it as a problem, because remember, when they were young, conflict meant I got separated from mom and dad. So people, men leave too early, women stay too long. I believe that relationships are healing journeys. And I also believe that relationships often have their time limit. And the best thing that we can do for each other is recognize where's the middle ground for that time limit. Don't leave too early. 
don't stay too long. Have the hard, painful conversations about, you know, it's our time. It's our time. And trust that you're going to be okay. So finally, your story, do you feel like in your spiritual knowing that a part of your destiny was to experience the last year that you have experienced to um, raise you up to the next level, so to speak, or to bring you to another place spiritually? This was definitely an important part of my spiritual journey and awakening. This was the part of my spiritual awakening that really helped me to tap into, first of all, the biggest courage that I could ever recognize in myself. I knew I had resilience because I've tapped into that many times and cultivated it. And, the, and I think really the biggest um, gift for me has been to know, to trust that I'm okay. I'm okay. And that's, that's a spiritual knowing that's not something that I can, you know, that I can tell my mind over and over. That's like at a deep core level. I'm, I'm not only okay, I'm thriving. And my program is called Realign to Thrive. And so my question for anyone listening is, where can you realign in your life? What do you need to realign so that you can go from barely surviving? And when people leave relationships, when relationships end, there's this feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be okay and there's a survival instinct that kicks in. And there's physiological and biological reasons that that happens that I don't want to get into right now. But the truth is, you don't have to just survive when that relationship ended or when you had that loss. That there is something waiting for you just around the corner where you're going to get to thrive. And if you can trust, if you can hold the course, like just Um, In yoga, I call it hold the pose, like be with the discomfort. Let your feelings be expressed, experienced, felt, instead of trying to negate them. Of course, ask for help if you need help, right? Contact a therapist or a coach. My specialty is is grief, of course. (laughs) And um, uh, a therapist as well who can talk through helping you to reframe the narratives because we get all these stories running through our minds about how we're not enough. And we self-judge when someone leaves and we find ourselves um, in loss. So I think it's really important to look at the stories you tell yourself, reframe the stories, acknowledge the beauty, the gift, the strength, the power, and the absolute miracle that you are. And then talk to people. Don't keep this in. Talk to people. Feel it out. Feel it from the inside out. And trust that there's a golden nugget. My my chapter coming out in the fall with Les Brown, it's a compilation book that I'm doing with the infamous Les Brown. And the title of that chapter is There's Gold in the Grief. It's coming out in October. There's gold in the grief. Trust that you might not see it now. And I don't even want you to necessarily look for it now. If you're in the middle of it, don't look for it. Just feel it. Feel the grief and trust that the gold will reveal itself to you in its right time. I want to just end with this, knowing that all healing has its time. And so people through loss might try to convince you that there's a particular time frame that you're supposed to be better by or over it by. 
all healing has its time and nobody knows what that timeline is for you except you. Thank you so much. I love your um, very calm, gentle, but powerful presence. Um, and I'm sure all of the listeners can just hear that in your voice. And you have such a beautiful wisdom to share. So thank you so much for speaking to me and sharing this today. It's completely my pleasure. And um, when we first connected, I knew that, you know, I just, I, I just know that I'm meant to be on this particular show. I mean, there's millions of shows out there, but I knew I was meant to be on this show and um, hopefully to give inspiration and hope to other people, particularly my passion is women, but men as well go through their various grief stages and healing journeys. And at the end, I want us all to remember that we're all here having a human journey. And part of the human journey involves healing and involves pain. And when we touch that, we also access greater access to joy. Yes. So let me share with the listeners where they can find you. Um, so my website is dianalick.com. Facebook, I have a Facebook professional page, but I'm more active on my personal page, which is, which is dm.locket. And um, pretty well everything I do is shared there. So you'll be able to find me. Okay. I'll uh, link them all in the show notes, of course. So thank you so much, Diana. And I hope you have the most magical next year and all of the years after that. Thank you very much. And, you know, I know in my core that it's all been waiting for me. So thank you. Please share this story with anyone you feel may benefit from hearing it. Or if you or someone you know have your own story to share, feel free to drop me an email at m 